Hi, I'm Matt Bird. I'm James Kennedy. And this is the Secrets of Story podcast. Did you hear that amazing new music? Wasn't that amazing? That is our new music. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our new listeners and welcome to our old listeners. Let's start with the new listeners. Welcome if this is the first time you were hearing the Secrets of Story podcast. As we just said, I am Bird. This is James Kennedy. This is a podcast that is about screenwriting and novel writing. It's about all kinds of things. I am the author of a book called The Secrets of Story, Innovative Tools for Perfecting Your Fiction and Captivating Readers. James, what are you? I'm the author of a young adult fantasy novel, The Order of Odd Fish. I also run a film festival called the 92nd Newberry Film Festival, which kids make movies that tell the stories of Newberry winning children's books in about 90 seconds. And I've got some other couple other projects uh, cooking around that you might hear about soon. Stuff you refuse to talk about. Yes. For now. For uh, now. For now. Tonight, we will be talking about, it's time for me to go ahead and debut the news on this podcast that I have a new book. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And of course, the other big news is that we sold this podcast. We have joined the Indie Film Hustle Podcast Network. If you read secretsofstory.com, you may have seen that in addition to linking to all the episodes of this podcast I've done with James, I linked to, I was invited to appear on the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast hosted by Alex Ferrari. Well, that went so well and we liked each other so much that then he asked us to join his podcast network. But so then James is always one to look at gift horse in the mouth. And when I told him, hey, I've sold the podcast. We're monetizing the podcast. We're going to start making some money. This is all great. And James said, well, okay, I'll go along with this on two conditions. He said, my two conditions are that you, I don't want new art that has my beautiful face on it. And he said, and I want new music. So I had to go in and he said, I not only want new music on every episode going forward, I want new music on every episode going backward. So he made me go in reopen up all of our previous 18 episodes, change the beginning music, change the ending music, and he made me go through and find all six places in our previous episodes where he had complained about the music and cut that out because obviously we can't be complaining about our beautiful new music. I get what I want. I went online and I said, hey, everybody, I've been messing around with art. I've made some terrible art. What do you think about it? And a listener took pity on us and <laughs> said, hey, I like you guys' podcast. Uh, her name is Jessica Friday. And she said, I'd like to make some art for it. And she did. And she made amazing art. Yes. And if you go to Jessica.Friday on Instagram, you can find more of her art. Yes, indeed. Our amazing new music is by Haddon Kime, who is a wonderful composer for stage and screen and who recorded the wonderful music for my wife's podcast. And we just went to him hat in hand and we begged him and we said, oh, please, Haddon, will you please record some music for us because you are amazing? And he said, yes, he said he would do it. He said he'd be happy to. And he did an amazing job. James, what did you tell him you wanted from the music? I wanted it to sound like kind of John Williams, kind of Danny Elfman. I feel that he nailed it. And if you want music for your own podcasts or projects or whatever, if you go to Haddon Kime, it's H-A-D-D-O-N-K-I-M-E.com. Uh, you can find all kinds of projects by him. Yes, he has amazing music. I highly recommend it. I think, you know, it's a tall order to tell somebody I want something that sounds like John Williams mixed with Danny Elfman, but he did it. And yes. that is amazing. We have ads now. They're very skippable. Two ads at the top of every episode, two ads at the end of every episode. But the good news is, you may have noticed that we do not record a lot of episodes this podcast. We have recorded 18 episodes in four years. But part of the deal with signing on to this podcast network is he said, I'm going to want you to record more often. And he said, I, I said, uh, how often? And he said, ideally, I'd want you to record once a week. And I was like, uh, and he's like, okay, every two weeks. And I said, uh, and I said, let me put it this way. How much do we have to record to not get kicked off the podcast network? And he said, well, at least once a month. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we can handle once a month. But no, we're going to try to do more. We're going to try to do an episode every two weeks, and maybe even an episode a week. We've now recorded two episodes here for a return. We're going to release them, boom, boom. And we've got at least three more in the works. So that is the good news. We are all good to go. So, James, what is our topic tonight? You're you're the captain tonight. I, I'm, I'm giving you the con, Sulu. I am manning the bridge. Okay, so here's the story. I sold a new book. And sometimes, sometimes you sell a book. And as soon as you sell it, and you may know something about this, James, but we're not allowed to talk about it. As soon as you sell it, they're like, oh, we, you're great. We love you. We love your book that we just bought, but we don't like the title. It's time to change your title. And that happened on the old book. But in that case, I never really loved the title. And then they introduced titles that I hated. And they wanted to call my last book Storytelling Mastery. 
Yeah. And I just was like, I am not that guy. I am not Mr. Mastery. I'm not going to be in the mastery business. I'm not going to be selling mastery for a living. And so I, we went back and forth several times on that book until we finally settled on The Secrets of Story, which also then became the name of this podcast. And I love that. But with this new one, we sold the book with the title, Believe, Care, Invest, How to Make Anyone Fall in Love with Your Hero. Wait, hold on. What does Believe, Care, and Invest mean? Well, okay. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about it. But if this is your first episode, I will quickly catch you up here. So believe in, well, it's tricky because believe in sounds like, oh, I believe in you, which doesn't mean the way I mean it. I mean, just believe in your reality. You have to believe in the reality of this character. We know that characters are fake. We know that stories are lies. And believe is this huge hurdle writers have to overcome where they have to convince the reader who knows this is a lie, uh, the reader or viewer of a film, no, this isn't a lie. This is true. Like, believe it or not, all this actually happened. These are real people, and this is a real world. The way you make somebody believe something is it has to be oddly specific, is you have to do something where it's like, well, no one would make that up. That's just so strange. That's just so weird. You were talking about Lady Bird recently on the blog. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, what's the believe moment in that? Well, so, you know, the very first line of Lady Bird is, do you think I look like I come from Sacramento? And that's just such a great thing because you know it would have been so easy to have the first line of the movie be one day i'm gonna make it out of this town and i'm gonna be somebody and if we heard that we would have been like oh you know this is a fictional character this is a made-up movie that's the sort of thing i've heard a million times i'm it's, it's not startlingly new it's not gonna it's this isn't something you know because i mean the great one of the great paradoxes of writing is that for for us to really connect with something for us to really believe in something then it has to be something we've never heard before and yet feels utterly familiar. It's mm -hmm. like the, the greatest paradox of writing. The, you know, for something has to be unfamiliar and yet totally familiar, unfamiliar and yet feels totally real and true. And we've heard, one day I'm going to make it out of this town and I'm going to be somebody a million times, but we have never heard someone say the exact words, do I look like I come from Sacramento? You know, this is something she's asking her mom while she's on her college tour. Right. And, you know, and we're like, okay, I felt that way, but... I believe that this is a real new original character who is saying this because I've never heard it said in exactly that way before. Mm -hmm. I mean, but often believe comes down to an unusual look. Scars are always good for believe. There's no better belief in the world than a lightning-shaped scar. Even though we've never seen anyone with a lightning-shaped scar and it's something completely new to us, it's the sort of thing where it's like, okay, this is a real, a unique thing I can land on. This is a unique thing I can believe in. This is a unique thing I can see to make the character feel real to me. Mm-hmm. So, so it's an odd but specific thing that maybe nobody before this has ever noticed before, but the author has brought forth and it kind of proves, hey, I'm not an AI creating a story and I'm not some hack who is just churning out things that I've heard in other stories. I have touched reality. I've seen it and I'm bringing back something that I think you're going to recognize too. And so you're, that's going to make you trust me uh, in the reality that I'm creating. Yes. That's belief. Yeah. That's belief. So and then and that's the so, first thing that the author has to do. You have to do it. Generally this speaking, that okay. is the first thing you want to do, because if we don't believe we walk into every story. I mean, you may not agree with this, James, because you tend to disagree with things like this. But, you know, I feel like we go into every story going like this is a lie. This is fake. I'm not going to believe it. I you know, I always take more of the attitude that the audience is more hostile to a story than you do. I love the idea that like somebody's sitting down in a movie theater and like, wait a second, is this fake or not? You better not be pulling the wool over my eyes. Like, I think know. they are. No, I not. think they are. When they sit down with you, they're, they're like, hey, I, I bought a ticket to see a fiction. Um, and now, wow me with your fiction. They're not saying, wait a second. <laughs> I mean, they're not like, if, like a, if a train came at them, like off the screen, they wouldn't jump out of the way. Like, it, it's, it's, people know what movies are. They know what TV is. They know what books are. I think that we, you've got this weird, naive, because it's too theoretical idea of how humans are. You, surely you will admit that if the first line of the movie Lady Bird had been, one day I'm going to make it out of this town and be somebody, that then we would have said, ugh. You know, right, because it sounds hack, but that, that's, not, said, that's not that's my that's not my point. It's not the it's not the audience is saying like, are these real people or not? Oh wait, she said something. <laughs> that's, that, that's not how like I think you you've misdiagnosed it. Maybe you you came up with the, with the right conclusion, but you have the wrong theory leading up to it. 
I, it's, it's entirely true. We walk into things and we are inclined to reject things. We're inclined to say, this is real. This is a lie. This is fake until something happens that makes us say, this is real. All right. So, but then once you believe you've got to care and usually caring is a result of three things. Usually it's either because of suffering that the hero is going through or embarrassment or humiliation or some combination of the three. Embarrassing, humiliating, suffering can all happen at one time, of course. So how, what happens to Lady Bird? We begin with she's she's leaving a motel room with her mother. She asks if she looks like she comes from Sacramento, uh, worried that she does. And then she's driving down the highway with her mother. They finish listening to The Grapes of Wrath on audiobook, which is also a great little believe moment. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's okay, that is not something I've never seen a mother and her daughter in a film before listening to an audiobook. This is something that feels real. It feels like from life. And indeed, this movie was based on the author's life. And then they very quickly get an argument in which her mother says, You're not even worth state tuition. Just go to city college with your work ethic. Just go to city college and then to jail and then back to city college. No mother should ever say that to her daughter. This is embarrassing and humiliating and suffering. We feel acutely for the daughter that she is in this situation with this mother who is being so brutal and so unfair to her, even -hmm. though we see that some of the stuff the mother says is clearly true. Like you don't think about anybody but yourself. And we we can see that that is true. We can see that this is a very self-centered girl, but that just makes it all the more painful. Do we see yeah, that yet? I, okay. Well, I mean, again, we've had that first line, do I look like I come from Sacramento? She's very obsessed with how she looks mm-hmm. to the world. And so we've already perceived that to be part of her flaw. Mm-hmm. So then that is a care moment. And then it's interesting because almost all of the movie Lady Bird is based on the real life experiences of the writer, director, Greta Gerwig, except for what happens next as her mom is abusing her. She jumps out of the car, jumps out of the moving car in the script. It was a parked car. And they decided, no, let's go ahead and go for it. And in the movie, she jumps out of a moving car, which I pretty much knew when I saw it. So this is sort of the opposite of believe to a certain extent, because I pretty much knew when I saw it, like, okay, this is based on real life, but that probably didn't happen. But it's awesome. It's this, it is an invest moment. I saw this movie in the theater and everybody gasped and was into it. And everybody invested, you're right, at that moment. So, oh, here's somebody who's going to kind of go the extra mile to prove her point. Yes. This is someone who is going to react to suffering in an acute way, who is going to really feel things, who is going to really act, who is going to do bold things. And in fact, that was the one part of the movie that never really happened. And because, and it created the trailer moment, which is, I saw the trailer and I'm like, okay, this could be good. You know, she's been in some Noah Baumbach movies. This looks like a Noah Baumbach movie. And then she jumped out of the car. I'm like, oh, that wouldn't happen in a Noah Baumbach movie. And that is a bigger, more emotional moment and it's funny it gets a big laugh Mm -hmm. and it made me want to see the movie and it's heightened reality which is this movie is not going to have much of this movie is going to be mostly actual reality you know and then as we go there's other things we get more chances to believe in her more chances to care more chances to invest but this is a great example of a movie where you get boom 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 right in a row one two three you know we believe because of her self-consciousness we believe because of the way she phrases things we believe because she's she and she and mom are crying listening to this audiobook they're real people these are believable people they aren't just conflict machines mm-hmm. they aren't just people who are just primed to have conflict from the moment they enter the scene begins with them not in conflict mm-hmm. the scene begins with them sharing this human moment of crying listening to this audiobook and then very quickly they spin off into this sort of conflict and then so we really believe in them and then you know, we care because her mom is so unfair. You know, this is often the case that you get an outsized humiliation. You get a character who has a flaw and the humiliation is tied to their flaw. The humiliation is them getting called out on their genuine flaw, but getting called out in an unfair or abusive way. You know, where the call new... is bigger than what they deserve. It's, you know, we've got a new vow on this podcast to talk about Star Wars less, but, you know, but it's, I was going to go in Tashi Station and pick up some power converters. Okay, so there's a little bit of a flaw there. You know, he is an uncommitted farm boy. And then, but he's like, you can waste time with your friends later, you know, which is just a mean way of putting it. That's just not a nice way of putting it. And so you get this outsized humiliation, this outsized criticism, and then you get her, you know, her biggest and best moment in the movie, this moment of, you know, I am willing to throw myself out of a car. And then it cuts to... I'm I'm also uh <laughs> it cuts to she's wearing a cast that says fuck you mom at the top of the cast <laughs> and that is the next shot of the movie this is what has happened in the aftermath of throwing herself out of the car so this was believe care invest and so I went through and I did 
Leave Karen Vest for 10 different novels. Well, eight novels and two nonfiction. Then I went through and I did 28 movies because these were all 20 movies I'd done checklists for in the past. My book, The Secrets of Story, has a checklist of 122 questions you can ask about your manuscript. And I'd gone ahead and done these 28 movies over the years. And so I decided to also do Believe Karen Vest for these 28 movies. And I'm about to go through and do it for at least 10 different TV shows, trying to just generate all the data for my book. But eventually, I got to this thing where I always crowdsource everything. And I crowdsourced just a lot of material. In a lot of ways, I crowdsourced my first book. And I decided to crowdsource this book too. And one of the things I decided to crowdsource was the title. And I was like, I don't like believe Karen Vest is a title, even though it's the title I sold them, partially because it sounds like an investing book. <laughs> when I, when, if I'm going to tell somebody to party, I wrote the book, Believe Karen Vest. They're going to go, oh, okay, I should buy that book because I need to know which stocks and bonds to invest in. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay, that is not good. <laughs> and I don't want to spend the rest of my life telling people I wrote this book and then have to explain it's not an investing book. So I went ahead and asked on the blog, should I call this Believe Karen Fest? Is there some better version of this? Is there some better title of this book? Even if it's just a matter of going with just the subtitle, how to make anybody fall in love with your hero. But then somebody said, and apparently it was kind of a joke. They were like, mm -hmm. what about connect, care, commit? So instead of believe, you have connect. And instead of invest, you have commit. I was like, I love that. I kind of love that because I, I like it. I like alliteration and I like that it's alliterative. And I like that if I tell somebody connect, care, commit, they're going to be like, oh, okay, that sounds like a storytelling book. Uh -huh. That sounds like a book about it could still be an investment book. And there is some overlap between uh, the stock market and storytelling, which I think we may get into in a future episode that we've got scheduled to come up. Mm -hmm. But I think that asking someone to connect is something that writers do, asking someone to care and asking someone to commit. These seem like more things that writers do. Yeah, and this, it, it's fatally flawed because they all blur together. It's easy, like connect, care, commit or whatever. And it's just like, it, it's just like three C's and it kind of like all kind of blurs together and you can't really keep them separate in your mind. I believe in believe, care and invest. Do you think there's a substantial difference between invest and commit? No. I could really go either way on that. It's just a matter of, you know, how illiterate do I want to be? But then what I realized was, so I tried switching the language as I was writing up these movies. I wrote up 12 movies as Believe, Care, Invest. And then, as you'll see, if you go to the blog, I wrote another 12 movies as Connect, Care, Commit. And what I quickly realized is that Connect and Believe are different things. And I like them both. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I quickly realized this is when I had my real identity crisis. I realized, like, I don't know which is more important to me. I don't know which is more important for writers to connect or to believe. And sometimes they seem like the same thing. And sometimes they seem like very different things. Mm -hmm. And what really drove that home was sideways. Because mm. I realized, well, one thing when I was writing about stuff, at some point when I was writing about these things, I added a new category, which is before I started talking about connect, care, commit, or before I started talking about believe, care, invest, I would talk about why it might be hard to identify with a hero. Because I realized mm -hmm. that that is one of the ways this book will hopefully be useful is it's one thing to go like, I'm going to start off with the world's most lovable hero, and I'm going to bombard the reader or the viewer with all these wonderful things that are going to get us to believe and care and invest. And boy, people are going to love this hero. And that is, of course, a mistake. There's In fact, you have be... to scuff it up and you have to make things that make it difficult to make yes. it kind of hard for it to go down. And it, it's kind of like if there's a high wall and you climb it, then once you've climbed the wall, it's hard to get back because there's a high wall behind you. The whole reason that writers learn to write is not to do things perfectly. It's not to go like, okay, here's how I overwhelm the reader or the viewer with everything they want to see. It's that I have my own thing I want to do that readers may resist me on or viewers may resist me on. And I have this sort of rough, real, believable, difficult hero. And how can I get people to believe, care, and invest despite the fact that this is a rough, real, difficult hero? And that's how that's how good writing goes. Good writing is, I've got this hero who may be hard to believe in, who may be hard to care about, who may be hard to invest in. And that's good. It's good you have a hero where these things may be hard. And then you have to know how to overcome those hurdles. And, and then I, in the end, you will find out those hurdles were the very building blocks that made them somebody who was plausible to believe, care, and invest in. 
Yes. And what I quickly realized is that often the reasons why a hero was hard to invest in were similar to the reasons we believed in them. If you look at something like Chinatown, you know, the reason we believe in Jake Giddis is because we're used to heroic movie detectives. And we start this movie Chinatown, and he is taking pictures of cheating wives. And he is showing pictures of cheating wives to husbands who then have a hard time paying him, you know, but I promise I'll go ahead and take my boat out and catch some more skipjack tuna and I'll be able to pay you. And it is grubby and it is low down. And it, we're like, oh, this is real. This is what the real life of a detective is. This is not what I'm used to in seeing in stylized, idealized movies. And that is how we believe. But it is also why it is hard to invest in Jake. It's hard to identify with Jake. We don't want to identify with someone who is living such a degraded, down and dirty life. But it makes him very much believable. And so that's when I started realizing like, oh, okay, now I've got these sort of four categories now, like why it's hard to identify with, followed by why we believe Karen invest anyway. And I'm always like, believe and hard to identify often overlap. They're often similar. But then once I switched the language, once I tried playing around with switching the language from believe to connect, I found that that's very different from hard to identify with. There are the reasons why it's hard to identify with someone, but they are not the things we connect with. Connecting is slightly different. So let's look at the movie Sideways. So for Sideways, the reasons why it is hard to identify with Miles in Sideways are legion. As I say on blog, he's a drunk, he's a liar, he's a loser. When we first meet him, he realizes he's late, calls someone and says, I'm out the door right now. But then he sits idly reading on the toilet. Then he does the New York Times crossword as he drives down the highway. When he finally arrives, he lies by the freeway being bumper to bumper. Then he drinks wine with Jack while driving. Then we get to the big one. He stops by his lonely mother's house just to steal her cash and then sneaks away before the big brunch she has planned the next day. Mm -hmm. So this is a movie that is extremely daring in creating a very unlikable hero, a hero we are not likely to want to identify with. And all of this makes us believe in the character, but it doesn't make us connect to the character. I can't help but feel that people are inherently sinful and these all these peccadillos that you say that the audience would be looking down on in fact do make us identify with them because we too are fallen humans we're not looking at these people like we are blocks of of gems carved out of angels like we we see that stuff and we say yeah that's me too that's me too I, i've i've driven drunk i've said I was going to be late. <laughs> you have? I, I have not. Okay. I, I've said I was on my way, but I really wasn't. I mean, yes. Sure that is, you're right. That okay, is saying so you're on your way think... when you're really not okay, is so... something I can connect with. So, you know, you, driving, you... doing the crossword puzzle while driving down the highway. Right, right, right. Something I but, can... but you've, done, you've probably done something similar. And I, all I mean to say is that you presume this uh, audience that is morally perfect and judging somebody because they are bad but i think this is the very thing that causes people to think oh why does anybody like trump because you know hillary clinton seems to be so righteous and it's like well no they love a rogue they they, people love somebody who is transgressive and the all those things that you say push people away and yet we it's we like them in spite of that I think, in fact, people like him because of that. Yeah. I mean, so to I'm a certain sorry extent. I'm sorry it just like, disrupts your theory, but that just seems to me to be. No, true. no, this is exactly what I'm trying to tease out. And you're right, which is why maybe believe is better language than connect, because these are all things that make us believe in him. There aren't so much things that make me connect with him. I well, feel like okay, now you're using believe in two different ways. You're saying believe in, and to mean like, I believe that this reality is an existing well, reality, but you're also using it to mean believe in as in, I believe in you, baby, you can do that's it. That's not how I meant it, but that's one problem with the word believe is it's when you say I believe in you, it's unclear what you mean. Do you believe in the reality of or believe in in terms of rooting for, which is not what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's invest or Commit, which is, oh, this is also problematic. When I looked at Selma, it's very easy to believe in Martin Luther King because all of these details are from life and he's leading a fascinating life uh, that is very true. And, you know, we're getting all these amazing details from his actual life. But why do we connect to Martin Luther King? I point out, well, the first thing we see him do, and this is something that goes back to my last book, is we see him prepping. We think he's giving his Nobel award speech and then we realize, no, he's practicing it in a mirror and feeling self-conscious while he's doing it and feeling bad about the 
ascot he feel like he's being forced to wear and he says if the boys back home saw me wouldn't they get a laugh that is a great connect moment very hard to connect to someone who we see as this sort of towering hero this movie doesn't really go for the full connect it could go for if they really wanted to break down the idea of martin luther king this movie is not interested in breaking down the idea of martin luther king for instance if they had had a moment in that movie where early on martin luther king thinks someone is waving to him and then realizes they're actually waving to someone behind him that is a level of connect not necessarily believe, but that's a level of connect that is a classic movie trick. Yeah, it just know. feels like a Judd and, Apatow movie then. And, you know, like, it's, like, it, like, it, it's, it's like some kind of like uh, like mid-aughts kind of the office level kind of like and, and then like Martin Luther King looks at the camera and does a gym <laughs> from the office. But I think it would be I think it would be amazing to do something like that with Martin Luther King. That would be a totally <laughs> different movie like It would be a totally different movie. It would have been a movie where we're like, we're going to go ahead and turn Martin Luther King into just one of us, the normal everyday schlubs, which this movie was not interested in doing. Says the white guy. (laughs) You're you're very interested in bringing this towering hero. Bring down Martin Luther King. Crush him. Good job. job. Well done. (laughs) You want to make him into like Larry David in like Curb Your Enthusiasm. (laughs) What? No! I was... trying to do civil rights you didn't know oh. <laughs> uh, um, so bum, it's a bum, it's a movie where they're <laughs> they're very much trying not to do that but they still have a less severe version of that which is the prep scene which is uh-huh. the uh we think he's giving a speech but he's really just prepping for the speech and he's embarrassed by being in this situation that is a universal moment that is a moment where we connect with him it's not really so much believe, which makes me think, oh, are these different things? But I feel like, is there some greater truth here that should really be something I have to deal with? Is it more important to believe in a hero, which is to say believe in the reality of a hero, or to connect to the hero? Is it more important to believe like, oh my gosh, this is really Martin Luther King. He's a real person. He's not just someone in the history books. I believe in him. This is all very real. Or is it more to go like, I connect with Martin Luther King. I identify with Martin Luther King. How important is it? Is identification overrated? Which I think is something I've been sort of coming across as I do all these things. Because if you're talking about like, oh, it's hard to identify with this character, that's bad, but here's how we're overcoming it. And the more I'm doing it, I'm realizing like, oh, it's really good for a character to be hard to identify with. Yeah. I mean, Miles is an extreme example in terms of how off-putting he is. Some I mean, people certainly, call him the modern Martin Luther King. Yes, he is the modern Martin Luther King. I mean, let's talk about the moment where Miles steals his mother's cash. Uh-huh. in order to pay for this road trip you know in classic order to pay for the whole MLK. rest of the movie yeah what classic mlk yeah <laughs> they should have added a moment like that with MLK. And we would have said oh he's just like us he sneaks into her room he opens up a fake shaving cream can she has and then steals the wad of cash or goes through the wad of cash he has inside of it a wad of hundreds and peels off most of them puts them in his pocket and then sneaks out of the house even though his mom had planned a brunch the next day and, and I would, and, and I would say that this is a moment at which, on the contrary of people saying, "Oh no, this is terrible," they better do something to make up for this. This moment, which, which people say, "This is interesting. I'm interested in watching this movie." Here's the main character who does that kind of thing. I mean, I was revolted when I saw that moment. And then you walked movie. out. You jumped up. I and you did not. Out. No, you didn't. Did Nor not. were you bored. You were intrigued. I was not bored. And you wanted to watch more. I, 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 <laughs> I was revolted and I did feel a, an element of, oh, is this going to be one of those movies? One of those indie movies? Because there had been several indie movies at the time. I don't remember what order all these movies came out, but there was one weekend where I went and saw, speaking of Noah Baumbach, uh, who I think made the best movie of last year, Marriage Story, but there, he's made a lot of movies I didn't like. And at one, I used to go to a lot of indie movies. It's like, hey, it's Friday. Check the reviews in the paper. What are the new indie movies? Go see them in the theater. And then one weekend in New York, I went and I saw two indie movies. And I swore to never see an indie movie in the theater again. And I pretty much haven't. And those two movies were Big Fan, starring Patton Oswalt, which is uh, written directed by Robert Siegel, who was the writer of The Wrestler, which was a great film. And this was his follow-up as a writer-director. Big fan about Patton Oswalt as a pitiful, dejected football fan. Mm-hmm. And then I saw, I think the movie's called Greenberg, which was an Obama film starring Ben Stiller as a 
miserable dejected guy of some sort i don't remember anything about that movie i haven't seen either of them but i remember hearing about them and and not wanting to see them (laughs) yes and so i saw these two movies about these miserable dejected guys and i said this is so unpleasant this is new york city so i spent 15 dollars on each of these tickets i just spent 30 dollars. me and my wife spent 60 dollars to see these two miserable dudes in these miserable movies And this is what American independent film has become, and I'm done with it. And I basically have never seen an independent film in the theater since. I mean, it helps that independent films sort of went away. Like a movie like Lady Bird would have been an independent film back in the day. And these days, not so much. You know, it's not playing indie theaters. It's playing uh, mainstream theaters. But I just decided I was done with it. And when I got to that moment in Sideways, I was like, oh, is this going to be another hero like that? Am I going to have to not physically check out, but mentally check out of this movie because I'm going to loathe this guy so much like I loathed the heroes of Big Fan and Greenberg and that I am not going to enjoy and that I'm going to feel emotionally abused by this movie. Am I going to feel like this movie is going to ask me to care about somebody I can't care about and I don't want to care about and and I'm going to reject this movie for telling me to care about this character I don't want to care about? And I did think that in that moment in sideways is this going to happen it was a belief moment i definitely believed that you know i'm like oh because especially the way the money is inside the fake (laughs) the fake shaving cream can and it's just like that's such a great that's such a great oddly specific detail certainly believe and i believed in this guy you've talked about economic activity and it's a moment where it's like okay he's actually gonna pay for this trip you know which is like we've already been sort of wondering how is he gonna pay for this and that makes it more believable But it definitely is a moment that tested my ability to like him. It tested my ability to identify with him and test my ability to connect with him, even though it made me believe in him. And it made me think, am I going to, you're right, not leave the theater, but check out of this movie and not care about this movie and Mm -hmm. protect myself emotionally. This is something I talk about in my book, is that the reason why we sit in the theater and we're like, "Uh, this movie is going to have to win me over is because it hurts to care about a movie and to care about a character. It hurt me to see Big Fan and Greenberg. It was it was emotionally painful for me to see those movies and to be asked to care about these characters who were impossible to care about. So, yes, I think that Sideways did create an obstacle for itself at that moment. You and think it was an obstacle. You, you did not at some moment say, here is a guy who is a kind of like, I would never do this, but he's a rogue who will do things that will be interesting. Because I haven't seen these other movies, but I imagine that Greenberg or whatever, these guys are just mopes who never take any action on their yes. own for, for themselves. Whereas like, if stealing from your mother, it might be despicable, but it's an action that has a risk that you're taking to get a goal. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There's an element to that. And I think one reason why Sideways is more likable than those movies, why Sideways is more watchable than those movies, is because he's funnier, it's because he is he is bolder. He is messing up his wife in bold ways. Even stealing from your mother is a bold thing to do. Uh-huh. And certainly doing the crossword puzzle while driving down the highway is a boldly self-destructive thing to do. You are putting yourself at risk for your goal of of awfulness. <laughs> you are you are taking a risk. But let's talk about invest in sideways part of the danger here and i think part of the main problem with greenberg and big fan is that i never invested in these characters i was never like oh okay now i'm rooting for these characters so it was interesting to me to go back through sideways and like okay at what point do we invest going back to year 70s it's sort of going back to previous episodes where you've talked about seven ways that movies can get us like a hero that all begin with e he definitely explains which is one of your 70s mm-hmm. he definitely evaluates he's a man of strong opinions and we do like that he's wait what man. are my 70s uh, we're not we've covered this in every episode we're not gonna this is the first episode some people have heard what are the james kennedy seven e's of success no we are not gonna do them i will mention some a la carte you're always saying a la carte i'll mention some a la carte but you're gonna say seven e's i want to hear my seven e's (laughs) no (laughs) we're not gonna cover them um i've got an ad i've got an ad oh no uh do not derail this podcast james what is your eighth e encapsulate a fantasy (laughs) all right that is another episode all right future episode guys encapsulate a fantasy which frankly sounds like it's gonna be our most popular episode for all the wrong reasons (laughs) i think i think i think we're gonna attract a whole new we're gonna attract a whole new listenership okay if you insist that i cover the 70s the 70s very quickly are 
It's good to watch a character, eat, exercise, engage in economic activity, enjoy things, emulate things, explain things, and evaluate things. And Those I, are your seven E's, and I, which now, I know better than you. And I, and I now say that there's an eighth E. The, the character also has to encapsulate a fantasy. And what does that mean, James? It just came to me. <laughs> you just made it up. You don't know what that means. No, you don't I, have any examples. You don't know what that is. Well, no. I, okay. I, I think that in, I, I don't have any examples, and it did just come to me. But I'm realizing that in Sideways, they do go on this trip to wine country, which is kind of an awesome thing to do that most of us don't do. So he's encapsulating a fantasy. Uh, yeah, that's whereas, true. Whereas in, I'm, I haven't seen Greenberg, but I'm imagining at no point in Greenberg I think there's like a scene in which he's at a party full of younger people and he's being awkward. That's the only thing I know about it. <laughs> yeah. um, they, but I imagine there's no scene in Greenberg in which Greenberg is encapsulating a fantasy. Like Luke no, Skywalker encapsulates a fantasy. Uh, Clarice Starling encapsulates a fantasy. We all want to be uh, space pilots. We all want to work for the FBI. Well, okay. Well, maybe not the... The, By the, the time FBI. we all want to work for the uh, for the David Lynch FBI, <laughs> the Dale Cooper FBI, we don't want to work. By for the, the real time FBI. this podcast finally ends, we will be up to our seventy fifth E, and they'll finally pry the podcast from our cold dead hands. And I do agree; he does chase his dreams. He does get he does live his dreams. That does help. Anyway, let's get back to invest. And I'm like, what is the real moment we invest in Miles? What is the real moment that really we fall in love with Miles? Because that's a whole another thing. Is if we were to say, when do we fall in love with the hero? Do we fall in love with the hero when we believe in them, when we care for them? Like, what makes us love a hero more? Caring for them, watching them suffer or embarrassment or humiliation, or invest in them? What point do we fall in love with Ladybird? Do we fall in love with her because we believe in her, because we care about her? Or I guess we really fall in love with her when she jumps out of the car. Yes. So it's really the fall in love with moment is the invest moment with Miles. I think that the real invest moment and the real moment we found out of them is such a bizarre moment that probably was not in the script at all and is not something where if you polled 100 people coming out of the theater, maybe none of them would say this, but I perceive movies more perceptively than the average moviegoer. So only oh, I We've got have, the, uh, have the level of perception to go in and see that this is the moment that well, people wait, don't Matt, even realize they're falling it? in love with them. Yes. Can I predict it? It's a yes. moment in which he tastes wine and puts his finger up to his ear. As it's as, he, so it's he, as if you read my blog where I just said that, James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm convinced that the moment we really fall in love with Miles and the moment we really invest in him or commit to him in an odd way is when he is tasting wine. And in order to taste it better, well, no, he's not even tasting wine. He's sniffing wine. And in order to sniff it better, he holds a finger to his ear. And that shows a level of commitment and dedication and expertise and, you know, but it's not affectation. I was going to say affectation, but it's not an affectation. He does not realize he's doing it. He is not aware he's doing it. He is not showing off to his friend. Oh, look how good a sniffer I am. I'm going to cover my ear. He does not realize he's covering his ear. He is a true expert and he is a true lover. And he is such a lover. And I think that moment speaks to his flaw, too, because this is someone who feels the world too acutely. This, this is, is the ninth E, because we have to see the hero <laughs> be God. En- you have to see them be engulfed in their own emotions. <laughs> At that moment, he's engulfed. Uh-uh. He is engulfed. It's true. He is overwhelmed. No, he no, he's not overwhelmed. overwhelmed. Start with an E. He's engulfed. <laughs> he is engulfed with emotion. He is sniffing this wine and it is such an amazing wine that he is sniffing that he feels he must limit his sensory input to the world and lock up his ear even though nobody is talking it's not like somebody's talking in his ear nobody is there is no noise at this point but he covers his ear and i think that that is the moment that we invest in him Mm -hmm. i think that this is and so let's go back to why it's hard to identify with Miles. It's hard to identify with him because he's a drunk, a liar, and a loser, and a thief, More impo- most importantly, because he's a thief. But then he covers his ear, and it's, we are, this is the ninth E. <laughs> he is engulfed. And, and he, it is something where it's like, okay, this is different from Greenberg. This is different from Big Fan. He is a person of feeling. He is a person of acute senses one writes a writing book in order to say here's how to be a better writer and to break down ideas and i am breaking down some big ideas you know my last book 
it was easy to write because I was covering every possible idea I'd ever had about writing of any kind. <laughs> you know, I was like, here's my ideas about tone. Here's my ideas about theme. Here's my ideas about rewriting. Here's my ideas about everything. And this book, I'm like, okay, we're going to focus like a laser for an entire book on the first 10 pages of your manuscript, of your screenplay, of your novel. And what you were doing in the first 10 pages to get us to believe in Karen and believe in, care for, and invest in, or maybe, and that's another thing I don't like at Believe in Karen Invest, is one is in, one is for, and one is in. Nobody cares. Go on. But the other thing is, okay, what can you do in the first 10 pages to get us to connect with, care for, commit to, see how I like that better, it's three different prepositions. What can you, what can you get us, how can you get us to do these? And one of the things I'm inevitably going to have to deal with is which of these overlap and which ones don't. And hopefully that's not just going to be semantics. That's going to get into the nature of why we fall in love with heroes and why we love literature. And is it more important to love a hero or to identify with a hero? Sounds I think like it's, a false binary. Well, is it a false binary? Is that the same thing? Loving a hero and, and, and loving a hero and identifying with a hero, are those the same thing? And how do each one of them line up with believe, care, invest or connect? Well, I think the problem is that you're separating unnaturally the hero from the story. Like they're, they, they are, the hero is enmeshed in the story and they're both parts of each other. And you can't just say the hero as apart from the story. You know what I mean? And, and so what can we do about this, that, and that, the other for the hero? It's, they're not such a, a distinct thing from the story itself that you can ask that question. Well, that's a shame because I just sold this book. <laughs> um, well, I, uh, oh, oh, I guess you—you you know what? You nailed, you you disproved my point. Well, I mean, I covered this in the last book. You know that I said people don't really care about your story; they care about your hero. Uh huh. And you seem to be disagreeing with that. That I'm saying it's all one thing. Like Luke Skywalker isn't anything outside of Star Wars. If you ever read any of like the the dumb books that were written. You know, they're trying to like, oh, Luke, before the R2-D2 and C-3PO came along, like all these kind of like yeah. Star Wars Legends things, they all suck because it's all, oh, yeah. it's a very like kind of uh, delicate dance between the story and the hero. And the hero is not some metaphysical thing that stands apart from the story. It's not some kind of essence that you can just plug into one story or another story and this is a hero. That It's, I, I think that this is very basic what I'm saying, right? You You must agree with this. You're saying that I'm trying to separate the concept of the hero from the concept of the story, and you're saying they're inseparable. A hero doesn't exist without a story. A story doesn't exist without a hero. Right. The fundamental conception of my book disagrees with that, that you can separate out the hero from the story, that we fall in love with the hero. We don't fall in love with the story. This is one you of... You fall in love with the hero through the action of the story. The, yeah. you, you understand who the hero is through the action of the story. It's not separable. But There's a fundamental love... problem with the whole idea. But once we love Ladybird, we'll go anywhere with Ladybird. If it turns out for the next 15 minutes the movie sucks and they betray that initial vision, no, we won't go anywhere. I mean, if this turns out to be, you know, Ladybird then spends the rest of the movie trying to sneak into Comic-Con so that she can see a preview of the new Star Wars movie, at some point we're going to go like, this is a lame story, I'm not interested in seeing this story, but it... But it would be hard after we love Ladybird so much. We're pretty much going to go anywhere with Ladybird, and it's going to be hard to overcome once they've got us won over. Nobody loves that movie for its story. Nobody loves that movie because it's like, oh, it's so great because she's into this one guy, and then he turns out to be gay, and then she's into this other guy, and then he's just sort of a douche. We love the character. The character is brought out through the story. We see the various aspects of the character through how she reacts to one character being gay or one character being a douche or how she treats her best friend. Um, yeah. Those are inseparable. I don't see how you can disagree with this. I mean, I think the danger is that people fall back on their story too much. People fall in love with their stories and they're like, this is such a great story that I can plug any character into it. Oh, <laughs> so, all right. You, you've strongly voted for, for BCI. I am still sort of half in love with CCC, but I am hearing you. I'm listening to you. I'm listening to other people, including the very person who coined this language, who are all saying, don't do it. But let's go. But let's, before we close up, let's talk about more about what we're actually talking about and more about this actual stuff. To what degree is it even important that we connect? What do you mean when you like, say connect? Is it important that we see characters do things where we're like, oh, I've done that? 
I understand that. I identify with that. I feel I have done that thing. I have prepped for something. You know, that might be the most important of all. Connect. Believe. Believe. Okay. You, you're, you're saying that's believe, that that might be the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it is. Because but... the thing is, it also encapsulates the other things. Because since we, we, we believe it, we, since we believe that's the thing that happens in the real world, and therefore this might be a real world thing, then we half care about it because we feel like that's us too. And we half invest in it. All of those things are there. When you made it cleanly delineated to believe, care, invest, it made a lot more sense. Once you started saying connect, care, commit, everything started getting muddled. And it, yeah. your advice started making less sense to me. Well, and I think that this may be good for me. Maybe going through this long, dark night of the soul, maybe going through this dark cave of connect, care, commit has enabled me to finally realize, okay, I need to draw bright, clear lines between these things. So, you know, you always make fun of me uh, talking about things in, in Jungian terms of like going into the cave and slaying the dragon and all that stuff. And yet when you talk about your own personal problems, you state them in those ways. You say that you had to go into the cave. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was joking. <laughs> I was making fun of screenwriter talk. But, uh, uh, and, and yet, it was a, it was a thing that was most ready to hand. You might have contempt for these ways of speaking because you're so smart. But in fact, you, you when the when the rubber meets the road, you realize those are the best ways to speak about things, even though you're a smartass about them. You know, I didn't realize that you looked so highly at me, James. I didn't realize you thought I was so smart. And you know, there's nothing more wonderful than to hearing somebody go, "You're so smart." That's yeah. that's. <laughs> That makes somebody feel wonderful inside. Okay. I'm glad to make you feel great. You do. Okay, I think we've got a good episode here. We're sort of getting at what is really necessary in terms of getting us to identify with or also disidentify with. I mean, I think that's sort of what we're getting at is this mix of identify and this word I just invented, disidentify. This moment, or I guess the word would be alienate. To what degree does the writer want to alienate us from a hero? Productively and, and alienate. Push productively alienate. Push us away with one hand and pull us in with the other hand. And that's the and, only way you can get the the people on anyway. Like if you just try in a kind of trying to look how great this hero is. Aren't they good? Are they good? Are they... Yeah. If in an obsequious way you try to get the reader to identify the hero, you'll always fail. You must. It's not like, oh, this is an advanced technique. No, this is what you have to do. You must push them away with one hand and pull them back with the other. And then just like no no listen like... to me. Just like a battery in which like the two poles by interacting uh, create the energy, you must both push away and pull back with the same motion and that creates the magic of the energy of identification or trusting the hero or whatever the fuck you want to call it but if you just say i'm gonna like a good little boy knock off the 10 little points in the list that make everybody love my guy then you'll write the same shit it's been written by everybody else for the past you know 20 years and why everything sucks now i i generally agree with you i think that this i think we are identifying here something that is a danger i do think it can be done you know as i went through my 29 movies for each one i listed why this character might be hard to identify with and the only one where i'm like there's absolutely no reason this character to be hard to identify with was clary starling in science of the lambs she is just an absurdly likable character who does all 70s or all whatever we're up to all 90s and who does who is just a tremendously lovable character so it can not be done it's not like you know uh, like, she's withholding oh. there's two things she's withholding that's uh, true we don't yeah she is not only is she not telling lecter what her psychological wounds are she's also not telling us she's keeping secrets from us that's and also sure. from the very inherent sexism of the audience she's a woman that's a strike against her no it's true we're not we're sort of primed to invest in male fbi agents when she's in that elevator where everybody is a male fbi agent who's taller than her we might be naturally inclined to say like okay well why aren't we watching a movie about them well that's so, no, well but we don't think that you you say that we think that but we don't think we don't when we see that scene we don't think why aren't we watching a movie about them i like big tough guys i don't like small women we think we we're you just immediately said you just said that you said that's no 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 but, but not not in that particular scene I, i'm saying okay. that they had to work hard to overcome the natural sexism of the audience and that that scene the very scene is one of the ways that they do it which is like hey you you've been there's people who are taller than you 
You know, you know That's how true. it feels. The thing is, every story, if it's going to be good, has to be a radical rethinking of storytelling rules. And yeah, it has to, in its own way, reforge the sword of storytelling in its own individual way. Otherwise, it's just going to be a hack work. It's going to be something we've seen before. We're going to immediately sniff it out or, or we're, oh, I'll go along with it because, you know, movies are, this is the kind of thing that they are. But the only time that you have a transformative experience with a movie or a book or anything like that is if it reforges the sword of storytelling in a creative way. And that's not going to be encapsulated by rules. It's going to be something that is going to, you know, the very thing that pushes you away is going to be the thing that pulls you back. The very thing that makes you not trust somebody is going to be the thing that makes you trust them, like Han Solo. The very thing that's going to make you not care about somebody is going to make the thing that's going to make you care about them. It's all wrapped up in paradox and in every story. And this is why character and story are not different. Every and this is why, like, you take Luke Skywalker out of Star Wars, you put him in another story. Like, oh, what was he doing at Beggar's Canyon back home? You know, before Star Wars happened. That's why they all must suck. Because it, stories are transformative and they're radical, or else they're not worth the mantle of story. Okay, I think we've got a good episode here. I Jesus think that that Christ! No, point. respond to that shit. Don't just dismiss it. You're right, James. You win. <laughs> that is that is an excellent way of summing up this episode. Okay. <laughs> that is an excellent way of summing up everything we've talked about here today and proving that what we talked about was good and valuable. And hopefully this is all stuff I can use to make this a more valuable book. Hopefully this is all something where I think that we have reached a sort of breakthrough here in terms of how to push people away while you pull them in and why those two may be the same thing, why it may be impossible to do one without doing the other. So I think that- The, the takeaway is that you can't be a good little boy. You 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 you, can't, you you have to you almost have to steer into the skid. If something feels wrong, you really have to do more of it. You you and, and this is the only thing that I've learned of any that, that's ever helped me. Um, that that you have to you can't just try to tick things off a list. You have to embrace the paradox and go beyond it. All right, I think that's an excellent point. I had a free story idea was kind of this episode, but I think once again, we've gone long. So I'll try to bring that back soon. I'll try to do that next episode. And, but, well, no, I don't think I am because I think we've already recorded the next episode. And we're not going to do it there. But this is good. I feel like hopefully if this was your first episode of the podcast, you would now see how, what wonderfully appealing guys we are. And you're going to commit to reporting back to this podcast now every two weeks, which is how often we'll be doing episodes for a while. Okay. Well, James, thank you so much for coming to talk about this, helping me with my book, helping America with their writing. So we've heard the amazing opening music. We're going to hear some amazing goodbye music. And then we're going to hear something we've never heard before. I do a little spiel at the end of this episode. You've never heard me actually say like and subscribe before. It's going to be amazing. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's play our end music and then our spiel. How are you, how are you feeling, James? I feel great. All Confident right, and it. good. Confident and good. All right. You're, you're believing, you're caring, you're investing, you're caring, and you're committing. Sorry, you're. <laughs> you're See, that's why it doesn't work. That's why you're it connecting. sucks. You're connecting and you're committing. Oh my um, god. Okay. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Story podcast. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you found us. Go to secretsofstory.com and click on the Secrets of Story podcast in the sidebar to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. Find out about James's novel, The Order of Oddfish, and more at jameskennedy.com. And hey, if you'd like a free audio copy of that book or my book, sign up for a free trial of Audible at our special landing page, www.audibletrial.com slash secretsofstory. We get a few bucks and you get a free book. We're on Twitter at Secrets of Story 1 and at I am James Kennedy. Our music is by Hadden Kime. Our logo is by Jessica Friday. See you next time.